First of all, I just want to say thank you to Bishop, Bishop Randy and Pastor Renee. Um, I just want to say thank you. You know, whenever I go around and I speak and I minister, one of the things I always like to say is when you celebrate the gift of God in a person, you are celebrating the giver of the gift. Uh, because um, Bishop did not decide to do what he did. God gave it to him before he was born. Pastor Renee did not decide to do what she was doing. God gave it to them before they were born. The Bible says, before I formed you, I knew you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so whatever you appreciate, appreciates in your life. And so when I, when I say, let us celebrate the gift of God in the house, I want you to do it with a sense of revelation that this is God's gift. You're not just celebrating them, you're celebrating the giver of the gifts. So once more, Triumph Church, let us put our hands together and celebrate the gift of God in the house. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. And I also want to um, appreciate Pastor Randon and Lindsay. I know um, they are not here, but I just want to say a big thank you to them. And also our campus pastor, um, Pastor Dervin and Stacia, I just want to thank you guys for your prayers and your support. Can you put your hands together and celebrate the gift of God in the house? Amen. And of course, my wife is here, um, Stephanie. Um, I just want to thank you and I appreciate you for all you do. Um, Pastor said something about our theme for fall, and I'm, we didn't have any conversation about this, but he said something about freedom. And you, you can tell that we are in sync because that is in line with what God gave me this morning to speak to the church. Um, so we are going to be talking about freedom and breaking the cycle, breaking the cycle. So it doesn't matter what you came here with today. I want you to know that the cycle can be broken. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I'm going to be using the New King James Version. John chapter 5, verse 1. John chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Verse 1 to verse 9. John chapter 5. So it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity. We don't even know his name. We don't even know where he was from. But we know about his condition. So his identification was his condition who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had been there a long time, in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man. Sir, I have no man. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. While I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus looked at him and he just shut down his explanation, shut down his excuses. And he said, rise up 
take up your bed and walk. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. And this is very important. And the day was the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the anointing that makes preaching and teaching easy. We ask that you move from center to second friends in this place and fill this place with your glory and your power like never before. Father, we just ask that you speak expressly, speak through my vocal cords, think through my mind. If you don't show up, Jesus, we have wasted our time. But thank you because you are going to show up tonight, this morning rather. Thank you because this is not going to be about the enticing words of men's wisdom, but a demonstration of your power. I bind every spirit of infirmity. I bind every spirit of fear. I bind every spirit of heaviness. I bind every demonic and satanic destruction and distraction. And I begin to decree and declare that your word is going to yield a hundredfold. And we're going to be doers of this word, not just hearers. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. amen. If you have a neighbor, tell them, break the cycle. Break the cycle. Break the cycle. So this is a new month, the month of September. And whenever we enter into a new month, there's always this heightened sense of expectation and anticipation because we expect something. We expect and we hope for something better than the previous month. But, but I want you to know something, church, that just because we have entered into a new month doesn't automatically mean you've entered into a new season. If you want to change in your life and you keep repeating the same things you did last month, you are going to be in a new month and still experience old results. If you keep doing what you did in June, July, August, you are going to be in the September and still experience June, July, August results. This is how people end up getting stuck in cycles in their life. And when they're stuck in cycles, everything around them is growing and changing, but nothing about them is growing and changing. And days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. And I've seen people stuck in the same condition because they have refused to make a decision that would change the trajectory of their lives. And even when they make the decision, they don't follow through with the decision. And so the impact is short-lived. This is why I'm not a huge fan of New Year resolutions. Because oftentimes we make New Year resolutions and we don't follow through. I was reading an interesting article by Washington Post. And it said that in January, in the first two months, gym membership skyrocketed. Gym membership, because everybody wants to lose weight. Everybody makes a resolution, I'm going to eat, and there's nothing wrong with it. But by March and April, it's empty. And we've paid the subscription, and it keeps going on. This is very important, because it doesn't take just a resolution to change your life, church. It takes a resolution that is backed up by a revelation to change your life. 
When I use the word revelation, I mean an encounter. I mean an experience. I mean a turning point in your life that shifts your paradigm and changes your perspective. It takes more than a resolution to change your life. It takes a resolution that is backed up by a revelation. I was speaking to a financial executive and, and she said that all of her kids, five of her kids are all swimmers, exceptional swimmers. And I thought to myself, you must really like swimming. And she told me, no, 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 I am actually hydrophobic. I don't even know how to swim. So I asked her, what is the problem? She said, no, that there was a turning point in her life. She watched her younger brother die before her eyes, and she couldn't do anything. He drowned, and that was a turning point in her life. And she made a decision that none of her kids are going to go through what she was going through. Now, that was not a New Year resolution. So she, she no longer saw swimming as just an ordinary sporting event. She saw swimming as a necessary life skill because her perspective changed. It takes more than a resolution to change your life. It takes a revelation. Listen to me. When you have a resolution without a revelation, your resolution is short-lived. But whenever you have a revelation, it always will give birth to a resolution. Always. The Bible says something in Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, another way you can say that is where there is no vision, people are trapped. Where there is no vision, people are ensnared. Where there is no vision, people are confined. Where there is no vision, people are limited. Where there is no vision, people are moving around in cycles. Where there is no vision... Could it be possible that you're living below expectation because you have believed the wrong version of your vision? Could it be possible that you are living below expectation? Some people are not even living, they are just existing because they believe the lie that you can never do this. It has never happened to us. It never happens to people with this credential, with this qualification. Could it be possible that you are stuck and you don't even know? Could it be possible? This is exactly where we encounter this man in our text. This man was stuck for 38 years. Even Jesus said that he knew this was a long time. For 30, listen, not 38 weeks, not 38 months, 38 years. It took God six days to create the world. 38, day, 38 years is a long time. It took Jesus 33 and a half years to complete his, his work on earth. 38 years is a long time. It's a long time to be stuck. This man was stuck for 38 years. And I, I suspect that somewhere along the line, he must have grown tired and given up. And, and, and just resigned to faith and thrown in the towel. Because the Bible says something. The Bible says that he made his bed there. How do I know? Because the Bible says when Jesus came to heal him, he said, Arise, take up your bed. He became comfortable in the place of his limitation. He became comfortable in, his, in the place of his dysfunction. 
when, see, he became so comfortable, he accommodated his dysfunction to the point that his dysfunction became the way he functioned. He became so, he, he accommodated, he built a structure of satisfaction around his limitation. He built a false sense of security around his insecurities. He made a bed in the same place he was stuck. When you have been stuck for 38 years, it becomes normal to you. You don't even know that you need deliverance. When you look at this man, you wouldn't see any shackles. You wouldn't see, it. You wouldn't see nothing, no, no chains. But there were some invisible chains that held him where he was for 38 years. And I'm so happy that our theme for, for, for our life groups this, this fall is freedom. Because the Bible says, whosoever the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. Come on, church. Whosoever the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. Could it be possible that you were stuck in that relationship that is abusive and has become normal to you? Because your abnormal has become normal. The dysfunction has become the way you function. Your insecurities has become your security. Your limitations have become your condition. You were comfortable in your chains and you don't even know. Could it be possible that you're so satisfied at that job and you've been there for years and there's no promotion, no raise? Could it be possible that you're stuck with that doctor's report? Could it be possible that you're stuck with that business idea God gave you and you've done nothing about it? Could it be possible that you're stuck with a habit, with an addiction? Could it be possible that you're stuck and whenever you're stuck for a long time, you don't even know you need deliverance? This man was stuck for 38 years. And the Bible says he was waiting for the moving of the water. Waiting for the move of the water. And Jesus showed up. Jesus Christ. He was waiting. I, I want to talk to people who have been waiting for something to move in their lives. I want to talk to people who have been waiting for something to change. Something to shift in their lives. You have been waiting. You have been sowing. You have been praying. You have been fasting. You have been serving. You have been doing things and waiting for your change to come. I'm like a mailman. I have good news for you. Breaking news. Jesus has shown up now. If God doesn't show up, the show is not yet over. Jesus showed up. He was waiting and Jesus showed up. I've got good news for you. God is showing up when you least expect. God is showing up in your finances. God is showing up in your family. God is showing up in the doctor's report. It doesn't matter what the doctors have said. God is showing up in the courtroom. God is showing up. He's going to meet you at the point of your need. God is showing up. If God has not shown up, the show is not yet over. I said, if God has not shown up, the show is not yet over. People can look at you and say, it's over. Tell them, no, 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 it's not over. Because I have a God that is the Alpha and the Omega. So if he has not, come on, if he has not shown up, then it cannot end. Because God is the Alpha and the Omega. He ends it. Situation cannot end your life. Your condition, the doctor's report, your family, whatever you're going through cannot end your life because God is the only beginning and the end. He showed up 
And church, lest we bypass what the importance of this moment. This man was not even expecting Jesus. <laughs> you guys, listen to me, church. We were singing this morning about God's reckless love. That there's no mountain he won't climb. That there is no shadow he won't light up. That there's nothing God... This man was not even expecting Jesus. And Jesus, in his reckless love, was expecting him. Yeah. Think about this church. Think about this church. All through scriptures, we see people expecting and trying to get Jesus' attention. The woman with the issue of blood, she would go through the crowd trying to get Jesus' attention. Look at the paralyzed man. His friends broke the roof trying to get Jesus' attention. Oh, blind Bartimaeus, he would scream and shout, Jesus, just to get Jesus' attention. Talk to me about Zacchaeus. He would climb the tree just to get Jesus' attention. And here we see this man not even paying attention. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Yet Jesus knew who he was. This is his reckless love. There is no mountain he would not climb. There is no lie he wouldn't tear down. There is no shadow he wouldn't light up coming after you. It doesn't matter where you are in the pit, he's going there. You are in the fire, he's going there. You're sick, he's going to the doctor. It doesn't matter where you are. His reckless love is going to pull down every wall to get to where you are. He was not even expecting Jesus. And Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up in his life and asked him a question. He said, will you be made whole? And the same question I'm asking you, church. Do you want a testimony? Do you want a breakthrough? Do you want a change in your life? That's what Jesus asks. Do you want to be made whole? And most, most times we answer like the man in the text. We might not express it, but we might imply it and apply it in our lives. He said, I have no man. How can Jesus, who created the heavens and the earth, who, has the, who, who fills the whole earth with his glory and grandeur, look at you eyeball to eyeball and ask you, will you be made whole? And you say you have no man. When the man was standing beside you, the God was standing beside you, and you were saying you don't have, and forget about what you don't have and focus on what you have. He said, will you be made whole? And most of us say, oh, I can't be made whole because I don't have the right qualifications. I don't have the right this. I don't have the right that. And you can go through the list of what you don't have. I don't have this. I don't have that. And God says, it's fine. That's fine. Will you be made whole? Listen, church, those four words, are, when he says, I have no man, those four words, I'm going to pull out certain things from those words that actually when I was studying this scripture, it blew my mind. Because those were not just words. Those were the weights. Those were the shackles. It, the problem was not that he had not gotten to the pool. The problem is that he was waiting for a man. Those words were the issue. Those words, were, that, that was what held him in a cycle of life. Three things I want to point out. When he said, I have no man, the first point, if you're taking notes, the first point is relationship. When he said he has no man, the first point there, it, it means that he lacked the right relationship. Everybody said relationship. 
When he said, I have no man, it means he lacks the right relationship. Think about his church. He was in the midst of multitudes of people. Yet, he said, I have no man. How can you be in the midst of multitudes and say you have no man? It's possible to be with the multitude and still be solitude. Just because people are with you doesn't mean people are for you. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. I said just because people are with you doesn't mean people are for you. Judas was with Jesus. He turned water into wine. Judas was there drinking the wine. He multiplied the loaves and fish and, and Judas was there eating. He was with Jesus, but he was not for Jesus. Yes, I can give you an example of a Paul that maybe never saw Jesus, but he was for Jesus. Just because people are with you doesn't mean people are for you. This man was stuck in this cycle because he didn't have the right relationship. This whole healing scenario was set up. It was the survival of the fittest. Whoever got there first got healed. So this man had to watch people get there first for 38 years. Listen, one of the ways to know you're in the wrong relationship or in the wrong environment is when somebody else's success delays your own success. If you say you, we are in a relationship and you're my friend and we're supposed to encourage each other, your success is not supposed to delay my success. Your, the cost of your success should not be my failure. Every time one person got healed, the others never got healed. They had to wait. If the only commonality between me and you is our misery and not our ministry, then there's a problem. The only commonality, everybody was sick. The problem is that everybody here was sick. And you often look like what you look at. This man woke up every single morning looking at sick people, looking at crippled people, looking at paralyzed people. You often look like what you look at longest. And even though he, even if he, was, he didn't want to be stuck, he would be stuck because whatever you see, where there is no vision, well, vision controls your life, your condition in life. He saw these people every single day. Connections are important. Even Elizabeth needed a, needed a Mary, and Mary needed an Elizabeth because they had something similar. David, with all his anointing, needed a Jonathan. You need a, see, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how he was stuck at a particular point in his life because he had the wrong relationship. I was thinking about it, and the first thing that came to my mind was Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 37, the Bible tells us about, about the valley that was full of dry bones. And the valley was full of dry bones, but eventually the valley became full of a large army. But the first thing that happened is that the bones had to come together, bone to bone. There had to, become, there had to be connection first. Most, see, if you want God to break the cycle, you have to change your circle. Some of you don't need deliverance. You just need to delete some people from your phone. Some people don't need deliverance in life. 
And pastor is praying and everybody's, all the elders, all, everybody, all the prayer partners are praying. And nothing has changed. You are stuck in the cycle because you have refused to change your circle. If Mary stayed where she was and didn't go to Elizabeth, perhaps she would have aborted the destiny and the dream God had for her. And most of us are stuck here because everybody we see are sick people. The people we like on Facebook are sick people. The people we post on Facebook are sick people. They might not have changed physically, but in their minds, they've made a bed in their discomfort, and they are comfortable in their dysfunction. Somebody say relationship. Somebody say relationships. I want to ask a question. You know something, church? Before I even ask the question, I thought about this because I, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't hang around people that are sick. Think about this. Every time Jesus hung around people that were sick, it was not to make a bed with them. It was to help them. The number one way you help poor people is by not being poor. The number one way you help broke people and sick people is, not by, is, is by not being sick. Because if you were sick, you can help me. Hurting people hurt other people. So whenever Jesus went to the 5,000 people that were hungry, he didn't sit down with them and say, oh, we're hungry. What are we going to do? Let's stay here for 38 years. No, he changed the situation. The, I'm not saying you shouldn't hang around people. Definitely, you need to hang around people, but you're there to help them, not to be with them. To get them out of where they are, to free them. Because you have the power of the Holy Ghost resident on your inside. Could it be possible... That your, limit, your limitation in life is your connections. Could it be possible that where you are is the product of your relationships? Your company is your academy. Your company is your academy. What you do is reflective of the people around you. The second thing this noted is that when he said, I have no man, it showed he lacked responsibility. He tried to say, oh, the reason why I am in this situation is because I don't have anybody. He was playing the blame game. And guess what? There are no winners in the blame game. You might not be responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for what you do about what happened to you. You might not be responsible for what happened because it's very easy to make excuses. Oh, I was not raised in this neighborhood. Oh, I, didn't, I don't have the right education. Oh, I can't. It's very easy. And I always tell people, if you can come up with a reason or an excuse for your failures, then you can come up with a reason for your success. It's very easy for people to come up with an explanation, a justification as to why I'm stuck in this position. But you have to take responsibility. Everybody say Responsibility. Because yes, Jesus, think about this. Jesus paid for the sin of the world. He died for us. He did everything. But some people are still going to go to hell if they don't take responsibility for what he has done. It's almost like Jesus has delivered the mail to your mail, but you have to go and get the mail. You have to take responsibility. I think about David who, was, who, was, who, who saw the children of Israel stuck in a cycle of fear and defeat for 40 days. And David walked up there and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He took responsibility. Even God took responsibility for the world. The Bible says the whole world was formless and it was dark. 
You know what? God could have said, oh, that's the earth. I don't need to live in the earth. I'm, I'm going to live in heaven. But the Bible says that God said, you know what? He spoke light into the situation. Even Jesus was God taking responsibility for your sin. God would have said, oh, they've sinned. Let me create another species. of. Uh, let me just do something else. This plan is not working. God says, no, I'm going to take responsibility because they look like me. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. You know what responsibility is? Responsibility is responding to God's ability on your inside. So it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you, you still have a response on your inside because of God's ability in you. Oh, I don't have this, but you can still respond. Oh, I don't have this, but I can still respond. Oh, I was, oh if, 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 if my father was here, oh, if my mother was here, oh, if I wasn't a child, if I didn't have this addiction, if I was not incarcerated, you can come up with your excuse. Church, don't dignify your condition with an excuse. What lie have you permitted to keep you bound? What lies, what excuses have you empowered to keep you where you are? You have to learn how to take responsibility for what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has done it, but you have to take responsibility. Stop waiting for a man when the man is standing in front of you. Taking responsibility. When he said, I have no man, he didn't take responsibility. I always like to say that whatever you blame, you empower that thing to keep you lame. People are lame because they blame. Whatever you blame or whoever you blame, you empower to keep you lame. And you are stuck where you are because you keep playing the blame game. It's time to look at your neighbor and tell them, take responsibility. No, look at somebody and say, take responsibility. Don't put a limitation on yourself, a justification. For where you are. It's very, easy to, it's very easy to come up with a reason for where you are. It's very, very easy. Excuses are the tools of the incompetent. It's very easy to come up with an excuse. That he was saying, I have no man. He doesn't even know who he doesn't have. If he says, I have no father, then it's definite. If he says, I have no uncle, then it was definite. He said, I have no man. So what he was hoping on, he didn't even know. And that's the nature of excuses. So he was stuck in this cycle because he didn't take responsibility and didn't respond to God's ability on his inside. The last thing is that when he said, I have no man, it means and he showed us that he lacked revelation. And this is the big one. Now, you might, tell, you might not have the relationship and you might not take responsibility, but if you have revelation, you can activate the other two. It's a problem when Jesus is standing before you and you don't even know. <laughs> How you know you're stuck is when you are in a situation and the solution is right before you and you don't even know. How can Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, be standing in front of you and you say you have no man? Think about the church. You have no man? The one who created the man you were expecting is standing in front of you and you're saying you have no man? 
I've come to a definition and a resolution that blindness is not just when you can't see what is in front of you. Blindness is when you cannot see what God has for you. Blindness is not just when you cannot see what is in front of you. Blindness is when you cannot see what God has for you. This man was not blind, in quotes, because Jesus did not tell him, you can see now. Jesus says, walk. So the problem was with his legs, not his eyes. And yet Jesus, he had sight, but he didn't have vision. And a lot of people have sight, but they don't have vision. And I don't really blame him, but I still blame him somehow, because for 38 years, his only definition and program in his mind of healing was somebody going into the pool first. So all his mind, he thought the only way God can heal me is to allow me to be the first person to jump in first. He never believed that healing will come to him. He always expected that he would go into healing. He would go to breakthrough. But once again, this is the reckless love of God that comes to you where you are. He meets you at the point of your need. Most of you are trying to get to the breakthrough, but the breakthrough has come to you. You're trying to get the promotion, but the promotion has come to you. You're trying to get the healing, the victory, the testimony, but it's coming to you. And could it be possible that the reason why you have not taken advantage of this is because of how you expect God to bless you? Oh, you didn't hear my <laughs> This man really expected God to... See, if you are going to break the cycle, you have to be open to other options. Jesus will heal one man with speech and heal another man with his word and even ignore people and other people will touch the hem of his garment. Jesus changed his method. If you are going to break the cycles in your life, then you have to be open to other options. You are different and God wants to give you a different miracle. Just because he did it this way doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way for you. He wants to break the cycle. This man was stuck. And blinded by his routine, blinded by his traditions, blinded by his norm, blinded, blinded by his condition and environment that he didn't even see and know that this was Jesus standing in front of him. My prayer for you, church, is that God would open your eyes to see. If God can open your eyes to see, you would understand that everything you are asking God for is already done. That's why it's called the finished walk of, of, the, of the cross of Calvary. Listen, church, when you ask God for a breakthrough, God doesn't call the angels and say, hey, they're asking for a breakthrough. Let's, let's, let's manufacture a breakthrough. Oh, they need a car. Let's get a car for them. Oh, they need favor. Let's, no, no, God doesn't do that. It's called a finished work. So when you, oh, everything you see, everything in your prayer request has already been done. All you need to do is to believe and receive. God has delivered the check in the mail. You have to use your two feet and go, with, go get there and cast the check because God has given it to you. Your prayer this week should be, God, open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see that I, I don't need to go to the breakthrough because the breakthrough has come to me. I don't need to get to the pool because the one who created the pool is here. I don't need to get to victory and exert all my efforts because the problem was that this man didn't have enough effort and strength to get there. But Jesus says, I'm going to overlook everything, your strengths, your weaknesses, your excuses, your apologies, everything, and I am going to come to you.
revelation. Jesus standing in front of you, and you say you have no man. Think about it. Open my eyes. Could it be possible that the way you expect God to bless you is what is blocking the blessing that has already shown up? You're asking God for something that is already in existence, something that is in front of you. Could it be possible that the reason why you are still stuck is because you're believing God to bless you the way he blessed the other person? And God says, no, 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 I made you different. And I want to give you good measure, pressed down, shaking together. The other person had to make an effort to jump into the water, but you don't have to make the same effort because Jesus, who is the personification of grace, has shown up. Jesus looks at this man and he says, take your bed and walk. He didn't rest. I want to thank God that he's not, he's not in offended by our excuses or insulted by our responses. I, I want to thank God that he bypasses our expectations. You know, we often like to say that the expectations of the righteous will not be cut short. But what happens when you are stuck to the point you don't even have expectations? Sometimes, to be frank, you don't even have expectations. But God says, I'm going to suspend the rules. And even though you don't have the expectations and you don't have the desire, some people might have come in here like, okay, let's just come to church and check the box. But God said, you came here without expectation, but God is going to show up in your life like never before. Jesus looks at him and says, take up your bed. Listen, church. Jesus would have told him, go ahead and walk. And that would be perfect. But this morning, God showed me something. He said, I didn't just tell him to, to just work. I told him to take his bed. The same system that had held him. The same structure that had held him. Take the bed of defeat, of self-pity. Take your bed and walk. Listen. Listen, Daniel, this is what it means. The bed was formerly a symbol of what he could not do before. But now the bed was now a symbol and a reminder of what God could do. Whenever he saw the bed, it was always a reminder that, oh, I cannot walk, so I have to be stuck here. But when God healed him, he told him, take the same bed, because it was no longer a reminder of what he couldn't do. It was now a reminder of what God has done in his life. Everybody has a bed. You might be stuck right now in a particular area of your life, but God says, forget about that and think about the bed. Think about when I saved you. Think about you when I saved your son. Think about when I saved you. I took you out of the company before you went on. The think about all the times I saved you. I rescued you. Everybody has a bed. Everybody has a testimony. If God did it yesterday, he can do it today. I know you are stuck right now. But if God can do it then, then you have a bed. God says, take your bed and walk. The problem is that a lot of us are trying to walk without our beds. But God says, no, take your bed. Take the testimony because we overcome. And we've overcome, the, we overcome the, by, the, by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. You overcome by the words of your testimony. Do you have a testimony? Take your bed and walk. I want to speak to everybody that is stuck. 
I'm going to speak to everybody that is stuck and lying down in your bed of misery and misfortune and disadvantage. I want to let you know that Jesus has shown up. You don't have to jump into the pool. The pool has come to you. It's time to break the cycle. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus did this on a Sabbath day, which is a day of rest. Jesus had a way of stirring controversy. And why did he pick the Sabbath day? Because the Sabbath day is a day of rest. And he was trying to let us know that all you have to do is not to scream like blind Bartimaeus. You don't have to break the walls to get my attention. It's the Sabbath day of rest. I will come to you. This is a dispensation of grace and rest. God says, I will come to you. I know you've seen other people struggle and make efforts to jump into the pool. But church, my message for you is that God says he has broken the cycle. And all you need to do is to stand upon the revelation of what Jesus has done in your life. Because Jesus is right before your eyes. And he has broken the cycle. Let's stand up on our feet. Let's lift up our hands, everybody. Lift your hands today and just, just think about those words. And I said something. I said everybody has a cycle. Everybody has a bed, rather. Everybody has something. Everybody has a bed. Everybody has a testimony. If he delivered you from this, he can deliver you from this. If he, if he delivered your son, he can deliver your mother. If he delivered you at work, if he gave you a promotion, he can give you a house. Don't think that God is going to bless you the same way he blessed the other person. God says, open your mind to other alternatives and other options. I want to break the cycle in your life. Whosoever the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. It's free indeed. It's free indeed. It's free indeed. It's free indeed. I hear the chains falling, the chains of despair, the chains of generational curses, the chains of defeat, the chains of brokenness. The chains of soul ties, the chains of addiction, the chains of self-pity, the chains of the mistakes and the regrets is breaking because freedom is here. I had someone say something once. I'm going to end with this. He said, freedom is not the absence of something. Freedom is the presence of someone. So when Jesus showed up, freedom showed up. And church, I want you to know that freedom has shown up today.